Good afternoon all, Steve Bracey here with IBC Global. Hope the day is off to a great start. Today, we've got my friend, good, uh, how can I put this, partner, even though we don't have a financial relationship, <laughs> someone I like to work with, Elizabeth Morgan. How are you? <laughs> I am great, Steve. How are you? Good over here. Uh, a mile a minute, it's faster. I'm trying to keep over my sleep, but I feel like it's busier for you guys. <laughs> Well, the, yeah, tax week is pretty bad. Um, and uh, year end with all the legislative changes, perhaps it's it's pretty crazy. Can only can only imagine. Well, on that topic of tax week and just taxes in general uh, today, what I want to talk about, which a lot of people always ask us about because it ties into the cash value life insurance is estate planning, trust planning, but it all ties back to taxation. Um, so I'd like to talk about trusts, but before we do that, I think what will be beneficial, what you had mentioned before we started this call, is really just to provide some awareness on the different types of taxes that exist that a lot of people hear. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that piece, because it's really important to understand as we start to structure any type of trust planning, estate planning, whatever it might be. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think that, uh, tax, first of all, is an incredibly interesting topic. Yeah. Um, uh, I always tell, I tell my kids, they uh, have all studied tax, that if you want to understand what a society values and what it doesn't value, look at how it taxes its citizens. Um, so in today's world, we have a whole spectrum of tax that we all are, that we all deal with. So if you think about it, you know, on the far left, we have sales tax. You go to the store, you pay sales tax. Very different county to county, state to state. Um, then you have uh, property tax, also varies county to county, state to state. Then you have income tax, both federal and state income tax. Some states have no income tax. Others uh, have an income tax. Um, interestingly, for those of you who want to know, Washington, D.C. has no income tax. So people who live in the capital city don't pay income tax, where most of you probably do. Um, at, so that's federal income tax, state income tax. Then you have this body of taxes that is different. So the first taxes were on either a property value or income. Now we have transfer tax, and that's what Steve and I wanted to talk about today. So transfer taxes are taxes on transfers of wealth. So you've got a gift tax, a tax on gifts that you make. You have an estate tax, so gifts are during your lifetime. Estate tax is transfers at death, and generation skipping transfer tax is a tax on transfers that skip a generation. Confusing enough for you? <laughs> no, a little bit, but that's okay. I mean, it's good to hash <laughs> the stuff out. It's important too. That's the thing. It's confusing. That's why people don't like it, but it, you don't want to find out after the fact. That's when it right. actually yeah. hurts. Yeah, to say the least. So on that point, if I am, let's take someone that we work with, for example, because this happens all the time. Someone has a moderate net worth. They've got a large taxable estate. They say, okay, like I am concerned when I die, my assets being passed to my family and I've got a life insurance policy or policies that the death benefits might be anywhere from five to maybe 25 million. 
plus their other assets. They, they've got a large taxable estate when it's passed to their heirs. So how, let's start with this before I get to the cash value question. How would I, let me start this actually. If I don't set up an estate plan with a trust and I have a $20 million net worth, what will happen to my beneficiaries in that particular case? So, and uh, before I answer that specific example, which is a $20 million death benefit yep. uh, question, um, let's step back a second. So your the estate tax is what's called a unified system of tax. So it's going to, it, uh, it allows you to make gifts during your lifetime, but then brings those gifts back into your estate at death and applies what's called a unified credit against tax. So even though your gifts are have, happening during your lifetime and, um, and then the estate tax is applied at your death, they're actually all accumulated. So that's an important thing yeah. to remember that when we talk about <clears throat> this lifetime exemption that I'm about to talk about, it includes gifts during your lifetime as well as the value at the time you die. Okay. So that's that's really important to understand. Got now, it. with regard to your particular question, this individual had a $20 million policy of insurance on their life. It's the death benefit. So what, what that will do under today's rules, today you have an $11.7 million exemption against estate tax. And that's husband and wife, because you can, there are ways to use each other's exemptions. So um, if that was all that that individual owned, um, then that $20 million, if that individual owned the policy, right. even though the death benefit doesn't occur until his death, those, the value of that death benefit would come into his estate, be subject to tax. He would have an $11.7 million exemption today to apply. And then his wife would get the remainder not subject to estate tax at his death, mm -hmm. but at her death, she could apply her exemption. All right. Now, there are some very complicated calculations that would go into that, but that's the general concept. Okay. Um, the challenge that we have today, though, is that pending legislation would reduce that exemption down to $5 million per individual increase for inflation. And based on uh, my understanding of the way the calculation is being done, uh, if that rule changes January 1, 2022, the exemption in 2022 will likely be $6.1 million. Okay. So now we go to our example of our $20 million death benefit. That couple would only have $12.2 million of exemption. So let's round it to 12. Yep. We'd have $8 million subject to estate tax. And right now that rate is 40% plus a surcharge on amounts over $5 million. So you would have 40% on the uh, first 5 million plus a surcharge of 5% so far, at least that's what's being wow. Um, suggested on that additional 2%. Uh, 
uh, that the additional uh, uh, $3 million. Mm -hmm. So, so we've got $2 million of tax on the first $5 million. And then we have another 1.5 million on that 3 million. No, it's not 5%. What is it? On the additional 3 million. So the first right. 5 million at the 40% and then everything above that, another right. surcharge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Is the surcharge. So you're yeah. looking at more than $2 million in tax on that life insurance policy. For everything above the actual estate tax exemption is when that yeah, starts to kick in. Got it. And that's if you only have the death benefit. So if you have another, call it 5 million of assets and your taxable estate's now 25 million, that's lumped in there as well. Right, right. And it's an interesting concept because, you know, without without getting political about whether we should pay estate tax, right? Um, the, the concept and, and let me just step back because it's important, I think, for our listeners to understand a benefit of the estate tax. So the estate tax, it, it, let's say that it's $5 million. I have less than $5 million in assets when I die. That means, which is a lot of us. Now, insurance puts most of us over the threshold but a lot of us have less than $5 million in assets, right? Yeah. The benefit is we get a step up in basis at death, even though we don't pay tax because it's quote subjected to tax okay. and we get a credit, all right? That's a very valuable asset for the majority of Americans. So whenever you all hear people talking about them getting rid of your step up in basis at death, just know that is an attack on the majority of Americans, right? If, if we got rid of that step up in basis at death, it would generate a lot of revenue for Treasury, but it would be a huge detriment to the majority of us. So that's a really important point to consider. And what that means from a planning perspective is keep that family home with no basis in your estate until you die because you get to avoid paying tax on the gain. So mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of benefit to that that people don't think about. Now, let's think though about the difficulty of this lower exemption. Most of us are buying insurance, not only you know for to pay our debts and our creditors, but in today's market, that kind of guaranteed return yeah. um, is an amazing, uh, it's it's a it's so much better than what we're getting in a bank account. There are a lot of us out there buying those policies. The challenge is to put cash, the amount of cash in that we want to put in, our death benefits very high. So Steve, that's why you're asking me that question because right. that's the thing you and I have been talking about mm -hmm. in relation to your clients. And an easy fix is to move the policy into a trust so that I, the insured, have no what's called incidence of ownership over that policy so that the gifts that I'm putting into the trust for the premium amounts, right, or the cash can uh, be excluded from my estate, right, for gift and estate tax purposes. Got it. The death benefit stays out of my estate. So our $20 million example 
if that policy, let's say that this individual was putting um, $150,000 a year in cash into this policy, we would need the trust to be structured to receive that $150,000 as a completed gift. And for that individual insured to not have incidents of ownership over the policy. So in a perfect world, we would probably want the wife to be the beneficiary, wife and children beneficiary, and the wife to be trustee of the trust so that the assets don't come into the husband's estate. And But still the family gets the benefit of the cash value in the trust structure um, without having the corresponding estate tax. Got it. Yeah. So that that's a, a mouthful. And thanks for that information because you explained it well. And it's not, I wish it was easier. Kind of like most people wish it was easier to explain cash value life insurance and what a PUA rider is. But anyway, <laughs> to, get back, yeah, to get back on track there. So the common understanding that a lot of people have and call it just general training in the industry and what clients receive in respect to communication from, from agents and financial professionals is if you have a, a large taxable estate, or let's say you've got maybe one or $2 million in assets, but now a three or $4 million death benefit, and now all of a sudden you're pushing that limit, and I want access to the cash value, you just want to individually own the policy because it's easier and you can access that yeah. cash value and like, okay. Or you can put it in your irrevocable life insurance trust, which just restricts access, period, and that's that's like the common understanding in the industry. But what what you explained there, and what what I'm doing with my policies and working with you guys is you can design it where you have the estate tax protection, where it's outside of your estate, but still structure it properly. Where if and when I want access to that cash value, I can still do it because frankly, when I first opened up my policies, I set that death benefit primarily based on the MEC limit I wanted. I said, I want to be able, be able to pay in this much money. So I need a death benefit of this based on the IRS calculation of my age. So that's how I structured it. And then because I was younger, it was a sizable death benefit in the larger policy I have. All right, I should probably structure it. You know, when we met properly from an estate tax play, but it's like, well, I want to keep access to the cash value and you can. It's just important to have it set up right. And I think just as someone's working with you, one of your associates or, or with us, and then we tie you into that that trust trust planning conversation, is to be very clear about your objectives to say, hey, I am concerned. I don't want to have money chewed up in estate taxes when I eventually die. But like why I took this policy out is purely for cash value. Like 99% of people we work with, that's why they take the policy out today but then down the road, they start to realize, okay, I probably should do something here because of estate taxes and a lot of money is going to go out the door. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, and that is, uh, you know, that's an interesting question. How do I get the benefit of the cash? And, and there are a host of ways you can do it. Yeah. Think about the example that you and I were just discussing where we have a uh, husband creating a trust for his wife and children. Um, a lot of people call them spousal lifetime access trusts. I hate acronyms, <laughs> but it's just a, you know, a, a trust for the benefit of your spouse and children. Yeah. But the lifetime access part is the thing that people sell, right? 
because in that context, then the trustee could borrow money based on the policy. Um, and, you know, some types of policies you can borrow from the policy and it makes economic sense. Others, you want an outside lender. And there are a, a whole host of really good outside lenders who will lend based on the policy. The idea being you would arbitrage the borrowing rate against the lending rate and uh, well, a, a borrowing rate against the rate of return inside the earnings rate. Yeah. Um, so, in that context, what you would do is the spouse, as trustee, would borrow the money uh, inside the trust based on the policy, and then could distribute that money to herself as the beneficiary of the trust, um, or she could loan it to herself. Or, but it yeah. gives you the facility to access the cash without pulling the assets into your estate. Because again, this is a policy of insurance, not on her life, it's on her husband's life. Um, and, and you know, sometimes even if we have policies on children's lives, she also could be the holder of all of those policies. Right. So um, you could have a structure that would allow you to do it that way. You could also have joint ownership of a policy. So we could use an LLC to hold a high cash value policy, have multiple trusts with an interest in that policy. The borrowing could happen at the LLC level, and then the LLC could turn around and either loan or distribute the cash to its members or even outside parties. Mm -hmm. So, so there, there are ways that we can do this. It's just that we have to be clear about what our goals are mm -hmm. and understand what the various tax consequences are. Yeah, I'm with you there. And things will change over time. And we discussed this before. So while we have to be clear, like if someone said to me, hey, you got to be very clear on exactly how you set everything up today. Like, all right, I'm, I'm 33 right now. Um, I can be clear or as clear as I can, but things are probably going to change down the road. Right. You can, yeah, within a lot of these trusts, still maneuver. You can adjust things because, as you say, things are going to change. Life happens no matter how well you have everything set up. It's it's going to happen. So you can still make the necessary adjustments when you're in that particular situation. Don't feel like it's bound forever, especially if you're, you're younger. Right. And that, I think that's a really... Uh, a really important point. A lot of people, it's overwhelming to try and think through everything that's going to happen in the future. And of course, we the only thing we know is that things will change, right? Yeah. So what I what I always tell people is um, this flexibility is super important. You know, you need a protector of a trust. People will say, do I really need all of this? And the answer is, I don't know exactly what you're going to need, but what I do know is we are going to have to adjust. So we need protectors of trusts. We need um, to think about having a very flexible trust structure. Um, we, we also need to think about the ability, you know, sometimes using um, LLC structures can provide the flexibility that we need better than a trust. Flexibility is hugely, hugely, hugely important. So, um, so adding things, in, you know, in the trust, like provisions that allow the trust to move, uh, allow the protector to amend the trust structure to take into account new tax changes, um, 
y'all, our, our government changes our tax rules so often that it's, um, you know, almost impossible to keep a trust abreast of those structures without having a protector at this, yeah. at, you know, at this point in time. Um, using the LLC structure sometimes are the other way you can adjust the flexibilities because if what the trusts own are an interest in an LLC and the LLC itself, its guidelines can be changed, um, that that's something else that could be really helpful um, rather than having it in the trust. But at the end of the day, I my recommendation is always a couple of things. Have a protector, make sure the trust can be amended on a limited basis, especially to address tax law changes, allow the trust to change jurisdictions if, ne if necessary, and think about an LLC structure. There are some really important rules you have to consider, which is, are there incidents of ownership over the policy that are attributed to an insured um, by virtue of an LLC structure? So that, again, it, it's not a hurdle that can't be overcome. Uh, we've got a lot of guidance from the IRS. And of course, insurance is a favored investment yeah. um, within Treasury. So the good news is that we have a lot of flexibility, but it's just something to be aware of. Got it. Thank you for that. So here's a question we get frequently, um, and I think we're already getting it more just with the expectation that the, the state tax is going to be limited, like you mentioned, down to the, the $5 million figure, is if I already have policies in force and I own them individually, can I transfer ownership to a trust? And if and when I do that, what are some things I have to be aware of? just from an ownership transfer standpoint, can any taxes be incur incurred or do I need to gift it? Just little tidbits like that. Mm -hmm. So this is probably the hottest topic um, that you've brought up in a long time. And we may need to have a whole other podcast about it <laughs> okay. because if I have an individual uh, who owns a policy and I need to move it into a trust, yeah. um, there, there's a couple of rules that you have to be aware of. If I transfer a policy to a trust um, and I die within three years three of years. the transfer, it comes back into my estate. Yeah. So there's a three-year rule. Yeah. There's an exception to that, however, if the policy, um, well, and let me, let me tell you the other general, the other general rule is a sale of an insurance policy um, is a transfer for value that would cause this the policy now upon sale to be subject to income tax um, that it ordinarily wouldn't be subject to because now it's like it's an investment. Yeah. An exception to that is a sale front by the insured to a trust over which the insured is the income tax grantor. So in essence, a sale from the grantor to the grantor. All right, from themselves individually to them, a trust over which they're treated as the owner for tax purposes. Okay. Right. So yeah. if I did today, because I have, I can use a grantor trust to do that. It's an easy fix. I would just sell the asset to the grantor trust in exchange for the value of the interpolated terminal reserve value more or less, mm -hmm. you know, um, all of you guys in insurance land, tell me what the value of that policy the is. Cash, the cash value. 
Yeah. Well, it's yeah for estate and gift tax purposes and income tax purposes, it's a it's more like that interpolated yeah reserve value, but. Um, so it may it's it's often more than the actual cash because it takes into account the value of the policy right. itself. But but that's a beautiful structure. Here's the challenge under the new legislation. The new legislation is going to say that if I have a grantor trust, which I want for not only that reason, but also the income in a grantor trust is taxed to the grantor which means it doesn't reach the maximum rate of tax until you hit those limits for individuals, 400,000 or 450, depending on what your status is. In a non-grantor trust, income is taxed at the highest rate at $12,500 of income. What the new rules say is if you establish a grantor trust after January 1, 2022, and you die, the assets in that grantor trust come back into your estate. Wow. So that's the new legislation. So after, uh, and, and it's not just trusts created after January 1, it's transactions within grantor trusts that is, yeah. after January 1, uh, 2022. So and and honestly, I don't know that any of us could get any more work done before year end. Yeah. But if you have a policy like that with a very large death benefit um, and you have the ability to sell it to a grantor trust this year, call your estate planning lawyer and get it done um, because you're not going to have that flexibility next year. Yeah. Wow. What would I do next year? So if the rules change, um, what you, uh, you wouldn't, well, you'd probably just have to transfer it and hope you live for three years. Yeah. Really all, you know, all you can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, a lot of people often take that approach when I talk to them at least like, okay, no, I'm, I'm comfortable with that, that three year look back. Um, but of course you got to make them aware of that upfront. That's the key. Yeah. It's interesting because the, the key objection and this has always been the objection. We just ran into an individual paying in about half a million per year, purely cash value. He met with his his attorney and the conversation was, hey, you've already got a large estate here. The death benefit's sizable on this. Like we should put this in a, some type of trust. And his thing is, well, I want access to the cash value. I also want the convenience where if I individually own it, I can use my mobile app. I can just access it. Like I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Um, which, I mean, one would look at that and say, okay, you're putting yourself at risk for a huge hit here from a taxation standpoint because you are, but then you've got, you know, call it the kid in someone. Like I look at it that way sometimes, granted I'm analytical at the same time. Like, well, I mean, if it's easier and I can move fast, I kind of like that. Um, can I just fix it later? And if so, like, what does that fix look like? And, and that, I, that I think is the main point, just having awareness on that and say, okay, can I have my life easy now? And I can transfer it later, but what happens? Like, what if it goes wrong? Well, if you transfer it to a trust, more or less, you might want to be comfortable with the three-year look back. Um, who knows if more things change? I mean, then there's going to be more to, to be aware of, but uh, call it awareness, just making people aware of that upfront. That's how I look at it. Right. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, trusts trust can be hard to manage. They can be easy to manage. Yeah. 
But just understanding those concepts, I think, is really important because the one thing that, um, you know, when the uh, rates, well, the lifetime exemptions started going up, people kept saying, I don't have to worry about it. My estate isn't that large. Yeah. And, um, and it, for a lot of people, um, it's not until you start adding in the life insurance. Yeah. So um, that's, and, and once rates go or exemption amounts go back down again, that's where I think more people are going to be impacted by this than they, you know, they would have been otherwise. Got it. Got it. So let me ask a, another question when it comes to accessing the cash value that a lot, of, a lot of people ask, and it's a nice workaround in my opinion, is if you take a life insurance policy, the most from a convenience standpoint is if I individually own it. I get my online account. I can track it. If I'm a hands-on guy or girl, that's where people like that. And some have large policies and they prefer that. When I put it into a trust of some sort, the company says, hey, our systems just don't accommodate that. So that's okay because you know we can provide information on a weekly, monthly basis. Here's the updated values. But when I want access to the cash value, if it's trust-owned or even if it's business-owned, there's additional paperwork and such. Going back to those collateral loans, the lines of credit. So if you have a policy that is owned by a trust, whether it's individual, business, however it's structured, and I know there might be more to that, I can take that and assign the cash value as collateral with a lender. And then basically, I've got a line of credit where now life's simple because it's a line of credit. I can draw against it as far as who's paid to. Maybe it has to be paid to an LLC first then I take it and make sure I do things proper in that respect. But that is a nice way to blend in that convenience and still have the estate planning part secure. Do you see that a lot? Because I know that's becoming more and more popular. More people are interested in that. But my question to you is, do you see that a lot with people with larger, excuse me, larger policies? So, um, no, I haven't. I know that, but, but here is an interesting point. Um, if I have the ability personally to borrow uh, or I do access the value. So let's just take our earlier example, a, a SLAT, a, a spousal lifetime access trust for spouse and children and husband accesses the cash in the policy. That may very well be an incident of ownership that causes that policy death benefit to come back into his estate. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the code section is 2042. <laughs> and, um, you know, again, I think, Steve, your approach is the right one. Just let people know yeah. what, what the possibilities are. Mm-hmm. And then, honestly, they can make their own decision. Correct. But, you know, I think that there are lots of ways to build flexibility in um, the, the downside is that if you have incidents of ownership over a policy's death benefit, it'll be taxable in your estate. Right. Incidents of ownership. If I'm acting as the owner when I'm really not. Right. Yeah. 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 Fun so, stuff. So, and that's really, so one reason we like, um, you know, slats is that the wife can access it and can use it for the benefit of the family. Um, but it's not at certainly not as easy as owning it individually. And, and, you know, here's the flip side of it. If that is 
is the driving. If, if the client, that is really what's important to them, what we might consider doing is putting other assets into trust for family members to reduce the value of their estate to yeah. the point where holding that asset as an investment asset isn't going to hurt them from an estate tax standpoint. Nice move. No, I like that. Um, yeah, because it always comes up uh, almost uh, the flip side where it's everyone's cash value, cash value, cash value, which I, I get it because it's attractive when you do it right. But then it's like, oh, I should be aware of the estate tax as well. Well, how do I accommodate <laughs> still the convenience of the flexibility as far as funding it, accessing my money and make sure I'm protected? And that's really what it comes down to. So like you said, the awareness, building out different options there so you don't run into an issue down the road that right now I'm not focused on because I'm interested in using a policy to grow my business or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, that covered just about everything I wanted to cover there. Anything that you'd like to add? Well, the only other piece I mentioned, the generation skipping training. Oh, yes. Back. Thank you. So, um, you know, if you have high cash value policies um, and it's for the benefit of your children. You know, in other words, if it's not, if you're not saying, yeah, you know, I really just want this to be for the benefit of my spouse, um, but you intend for this to be dynastic, yeah. you might consider allocating uh, your generation skipping transfer tax exemption to the contributions to the trust. Um, because when you, when you think about that tax, generationally, that can be a, a huge value to your family because the GST tax is a tax on actual dollars distributed to grandchildren, and it's the highest marginal rate. So let's say that it's a $20 million death benefit. The cost to do that from the GST tax exemption and lifetime exempt, exemption let's say it was $2 million over his lifetime that he put in, right? That's a huge benefit to your family to transfer that additional 18 million down to grandchildren without paying the 40% tax, either at your death or when the assets are distributed. And the assets in the trust can grow because you can imagine if you kept investing in life insurance generationally, yeah. That amount might be hundreds of millions of dollars in death benefit um, to, to your family. So if you're interested in creating a wealth vehicle for your family, yeah. you think about it. If you started with a $20 million policy today, and you know, I, some of the things, Steve, I've seen that you've, I mean, $2 million is probably enough yeah. to build that $20 million death benefit. And then at the death of the husband, then wife invests in policies, even on her children's lives. At a children's life standpoint, it doesn't take a lot, especially if you've got the cash value or you borrow it to create a several hundred million dollar policy on each of your children. So that's something that for more um you know, for families that don't have as much wealth, yeah. um, but want to create it for the third generation, 
using that structure and making sure that there is no estate tax ever and no GST tax on the assets in that trust. That's the like nuclear approach. Yeah. Creating this family office dynastic structure. That's where I was going with that. Going back to that family office concept and just generational wealth, building a, a real legacy and also putting provisions in there to make sure a kid doesn't blow any of the money on, you know, several cars or something stupid like that right. to keep it, <laughs> keep it within the family. Um, but no, I mean, I've, I've seen that. It's very powerful. A lot of corporations do it. I know we discussed this before, so we don't have to go into detail, but I mean, that that's what a lot of companies do. They practice that same thing at, just all within the company instead of a family structure. Right. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And, and when we have the the change in our income tax rates that are coming, right? Um, so if you start to think about what is reducing your net worth and your wealth, it's taxes. So if I can get rid of income tax, which I can inside of a life insurance contract, I can get rid of, I mean, my gift tax, there's no, while it, it applies, there's no tax that I have to pay because I've structured it correctly. There's no estate tax and there's no GST tax. I've created an environment that's completely tax-free mm-hmm. that then creates wealth for my family generationally. Yeah, which is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. You just have to set it up right and have those trusts documented properly. It's not <laughs> all right. the stuff. Yeah. Everything you mentioned earlier, all those little pieces. I mean, that's that's complex to the average individual. You don't even have to be average. You can be a CFO. But I mean, your your strength is numbers then. Like, I love the numbers. A lot of these mechanical pieces with trusts is not my strength. I sit there and read through it a thousand times trying to get it. I'm like, man, like, how do you guys do this? But, right. right. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I just think that that concept I've seen in some cultures, one of the things that we've you and I've talked about eventually would love to do some more charitable work around helping certain segments of our population understand yeah. the value of life insurance and the need for it. Um, that really can be the the one, the golden ticket <laughs> to getting your family into self-sufficiency. Yeah. Um, you know, you can start with simple term policy to plug as a, you know, as a plug until you have the ability to start buying a high cash value type of product and then focus on, um, you know, and, and it has to be the long game because dad or mom are going to have to be willing to put that money into a policy so that at, th- at their death, there's a larger pot. And then the children have to be educated to understand, to do the same thing. And then by the time you get to the third generation, now you've created a level of wealth that would allow the family to do whatever it was, you know, whatever they need or want to do. And you also, I will say one other plug for this, charities. I, uh, you know, you can carve off a piece of your death benefit and give it to a charity as well. So let's take, I just want to hop back to our client who really wants to keep the value for himself during his lifetime. Yeah. If he has a charitable beneficiary that he really wants to do something for, then having the asset in his estate is not going to hurt him. If he has 
a wife for the marital deduction and then adds a charity to that structure, the charity then gets the benefit of that death benefit as well. Gotcha. If you're going to look at it as an investment and you really want the value during your lifetime, it just like we're doing with a lot of our retirement plans and, um, you know, other types of assets that are hard to convey, but the value gets large. If it goes to a charity, then there is no estate tax. Definitely. Yeah. Now, good, good stuff. Thanks for sharing your knowledge as always. I know people listening appreciate it very much. So um, one thing on that family wealth concept too, and we can wrap up with this as I'm trying to be conscientious of the time is with the first generation needing to be dedicated to say, hey, I need to pay into a policy really to make this work. One thing I'll, I'll add, because with a life insurance policy, there's always a conception or, or thought that, hey, I have to pay into it forever, right? The answer is no. Yeah. So many people come to us, so many people with a lump sum that are very, very attracted to the benefits of a cash value life insurance policy. You also have a high death benefit, which fits into exactly what you're talking about with this concept. But you can pay into it where they say, hey, I've got a lump sum. I'd like to pay into it for five years and I'm done. Or till I'm a certain age, yeah, or I'm done and have flexibility. And you can do that. Um, often with these type of plans, what I've seen is someone will say, hey, I've got a lump sum. It's a small amount. You know, if it's half a million, a million or 10 million, this is what I want to dedicate toward the policy. And after that, Steve, I'm done. I've heard that I have to keep making payments to life insurance policies for my whole life, like it's in the name of the product. And the, the reality of it is you don't, if it's designed properly, you set it up and you know what levers to pull at the product. Um, but that's a powerful feature where you've got all those benefits and I, I don't have to keep on making payments because people they don't like that. They, they don't want to build. They want to use this to build their wealth and actually have fun with the product to use those words. And it can be set up in that manner. And it's pretty simple as long as it's set up right. Yeah, no, that's a really good point um, that, that I don't think that people focus on is that, um, yeah, just take the amount that you're really comfortable and you'll be surprised at how much death benefit it'll buy. Yeah. My dad's like that. Yeah, you know, forever he was so resistant to the idea of a, a high cash value policy. Like, I gotta make payments forever. And of course, father to son, like, no, you don't. He's like, yeah, I do. You don't know what you're talking about. But he's my dad, <laughs> so of course he's gonna say that. But eventually, you know, as we set it up, he saw it. It's like, okay, so I can put this much in. I get this death benefit, and I want to keep the death benefit there. And I have the cash. I can do that. I'm like, yeah, here it is, guaranteed, not guaranteed. Like. All right, I'll do that. And it's simple. Once he saw it, just because for years before I was in the industry and such, I mean, he's always been into investing and such. It's just seeing whole life insurance wasn't his thing. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And uh, my son taught me. Yeah, right. But anyway, <laughs> that's my father-son relationship. <laughs> I can use him as an example. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. That that's oh. a real life story, and uh, a lot of times that's what we encounter. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people who just haven't thought about <laughs> insurance. Really, it's insurance as an investment. Insurance as a generational wealth building tool too, yeah. and and arbitraging when are when you think about uh, estate and gift tax exemption going down and if if we are become more and more limited in what we can gift then what that means is 
we want to use our gift tax dollars in the most efficient way. So we want to apply them to assets that have huge increases in value and what more, I mean, there might be some companies that are pre-IPO or whatever that'll have that same uptick, but really there's almost nothing with more IRR ultimately than life insurance. Yeah, love it. No, thanks so much again for your time. Um, if anyone is interested in reaching out to Elizabeth, we've got our contact info below. Um, whether you are looking to set up a personal estate plan, business estate plan, or if you're an attorney, um, and I only mentioned this, I know we talked about it before, but you don't replace other attorneys by any means. Yeah. So many times, yeah, you work with them, which is good for, if I was an attorney, I'd want to know that just from a, a peace of mind standpoint. So just from a, a support standpoint, you're a good you're a good resource and you're very open with your knowledge, which is good because it's hard to find that today. Thank you for your time. I appreciate well, it. Well, thank you. And uh, be well, my friend, until we talk again. Likewise. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.